Welcome to the Naked Truth Real Talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric, and today I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with the amazing Larissa Tingle over the winter holidays. Many of you probably know Larissa from her DJing, or perhaps from her awesome routines with Tony Schubert, or maybe you've just seen some videos of an elegant musical dancer with bright red hair. I've known Larissa for many years, and I've had the joy of watching her grow and move up through the ranks. She grew up around music, as you'll hear her discuss, and as a dancer, she has always been known for capturing so much of the music, the texture, and the detail in her movement. That same love of music translates to her DJing, which includes a wide range of genres, styles, and feels for dancers. As an admirer of both her dancing and DJing, I've been wanting to sit down and chat with Larissa for a while. In fact, last summer we talked about just catching up and grabbing a drink and chatting, but that didn't happen. So I invited her to talk with me on the podcast instead. As a more recent champion-level dancer, I wanted to hear about her journey to the top, as well as what her experience has been competing in champions. I was curious to hear her thoughts on what it takes to be a champion, and we got to discuss that quite a bit. I also wanted to talk about DJing with her. How did she become so successful? How does she approach DJing? What does she think of the music today? We got to discuss all of this and more. She was open and candid, very thoughtful and insightful, and willing to share her story and her views. I hope you all enjoy this conversation at least half as much as I enjoyed having it. Here now is my conversation with Larissa Tingle. Welcome to the show, Larissa Tingle. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to finally sit okay. down with you. And this is kind of uh, long overdue anyway, because we kept meaning to sit down and chat like over the summer. <laughs> we never did. So yeah, we're just going to put it on a podcast for everybody to hear. Um, That's perfect. How are you doing uh, post-open holiday time? It's kind of a lull in the, the event circuit. How are you feeling these days? Um, I'm really anxious to get back to work, yeah. uh, but it's really nice to have a break and kind of process um, everything that just happened. I get the open and I feel like there's a lot of change every year right up to the open and I feel like a lot has to kind of settle before we all get back to work, mm-hmm. um, but I'm extra motivated. I have I already have our song picked out. I'm already talking about like set and choreography dates. I'm ready to... <laughs> get back to it pretty much and tony just keeps asking like no we need we're in a break mode i'm like no this is practice mode it's time (laughs) there is no break (laughs) and you're one of the couples that uh you and tony will start your routine earlier in the year rather than Mm -hmm. debut a new one yeah um we have a different oh my dog's barking we have a slightly different situation um, than a lot of the other professional couples simply because we have full-time jobs mm-hmm. and full lives around like outside of dance right. and I feel like there's a lot of pressure in our community to just do dance mm-hmm. and that has its own issues with it and I just don't think we're ever gonna be that way so in order to balance everything we tend to start our season getting choreography, beginning things around January, hoping to debut probably late spring, early summer. Then it has a bunch of performances to kind of get comfortable. We get a lot of tweaks and a lot of coaching. Um, So 
gives us time to like go to our village to help us. And then we actually feel ready and prepared. I've never understood (laughs) putting something completely fresh and untried at the open. Like emotionally, it is the hardest weekend. So why put yourself through that plus a new routine? Mm -hmm. Like it's so much to process. Yeah, It just blows my mind. Anybody who can do that, they're my heroes. I don't understand how they can do that. <laughs> Especially when they do two routines, right? Like in classic, oh my gosh. do an old one in prelims and a new one for the first time yeah. ever. It just seems like a lot of pressure. <laughs> it blows my mind. I have I have so much respect for our, our dancers who can do that. I don't think I'll ever be one of those people. Yeah. So kudos to them. <laughs> do you think they're... I mean, it's obviously more difficult to debut something without um, having put it on the floor before. Um, Does putting it on the floor, uh, I mean, you said it kind of helps you emotionally. Um, Yeah. Do you think there's uh, kind of an advantage to having road tested and tweaked your routine? Does it give you a sense of of common ease? It really does. Like, I don't know about a lot of other dancers, but um, I've gone with, so much over the years I've gone through, um, a lot of anxiety and, um, done a lot of study on how to handle all of that. Mm-hmm. And so part of that for me is just knowing that I've put in the work and I can trust my body and it knows what it's doing. And then that helps calm down my brain. Right. And I know that a lot of people who maybe have grown up in dance and performance, have a very different relationship with that. Mm -hmm. But for me, I came to this so late in my life and my mind, like kind of my mental habits were already developed. So I knew that I had to approach it pretty differently. I need to be able to trust that my body has got it. If it's messed up in a performance, it's that's already been done. And I know that that's over Mm -hmm. and my body knows what it's doing. Then I can just relax. And I like to go, like I almost think of um, as our performances as, it's a mindfulness exercise. It's, it almost feels like mental meditation for me. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have that, um, that time on the floor already, then I can't get to that space. Then I'm not going to be the best performer partner dancer that I can be. So it's a little different. Well, and you mentioned that you have a full-time job. I don't know how many people Mm -hmm. know that you are an architect and work at an architecture firm. And then you and Tony run starlight dance studio, which is relatively new, right? It's been about a year. How long has it been since, since um, this over? our two year anniversary oh, two will already. be at New Year's actually. Yeah. Um, so you do all of this traveling and performing on top of all of that. Um, yeah. you mentioned, you know, having to deal with anxiety. How, how did yeah. you end up in a situation <laughs> where you have essentially two full-time jobs and a dance career? Um, It just kind of happens. I mean, honestly, if I think about it, it was not something that I ever intended. Mm -hmm. I never started dance thinking I was going to be a professional. Mm -hmm. I never, once I, once I started dancing a lot, I never thought that I would be traveling. Once I started DJing, I never thought I'd be DJing on the circuit. Like everything just kind of developed. Um, and that's happened to me in other things too. Um, and other hobbies that have taken on their own lives Mm -hmm. in different phases of my life. I tend to just, I'm one of those people where if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do the the best job I can. And over time I find myself, I don't know, like in leadership positions and whatever 
situation I happen to be in or in a semi-professional something or another. Um, I think it's just my personality. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah. And I can always be better at something. And like that drive pushes me to, to certain levels of things. I'm not good at just having a hobby. Right. I have to be good at it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so gets me in trouble. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it could. Um, so how did you mm-hmm. get started with, with dance and West coast swing? Um, well, I've always been in music, so it seemed like a natural progression. Um, like I played violin as a kid. I was in symphonies my whole youth. And then from there I went into choirs and um, did a lot of vocal jazz. My dad was a jazz musician as well as um, playing trombone in the symphony my mom was also in. So I, I grew up with it all around me, of all kinds and meeting all kinds of people. And so it seemed really natural when one of my friends um, about 10 years ago was like, hey, I've been doing this thing. Let me show you this video. And the first video I ever saw of West Coast Swing was Johnny Be Good, Kyle and Sarah. They, I, I was drinking coffee with a friend and they hand me their phone and it's Johnny B. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and they told me, well, I do this dance now and I it's called West Coast Swing. And there's a dance like every Tuesday and I go, why don't you come with me? And I met Kara Frenzel and Linda Drake mm-hmm. and Michael O'Connor. And, um, within a couple of days I was dancing every day. And then two weeks later, someone gave me a ticket that they couldn't use for Palm Springs, uh, summer. And I went to that and I met like everyone (laughs) and my obsession just started. Like it was pretty much just like flipping a switch. And I was like, Oh, this is what I do now. Um, and it just felt, it felt like I meant to be there. I was supposed to be there. Yeah. Like I, I, I've always loved singing and I, the violin was such a huge part of my life, but it wasn't my personal calling. Mm. I loved it and I miss it, but this felt right. I actually haven't played the violin since I started dancing. Wow. Like really played it. So yeah, it makes sense that, you know, moving from a music background, growing up with a lot of music, that a dance like West Coast Swing, which is so musical, has such a wide variety of yeah. music, would be a really uh, good fit for your artistic sensibilities. Um, yeah. But I do know people who struggle going from music making to music interpretation with their bodies, right? Yes. Um, did you go through any challenges with that at all? Did you um, have to kind of rethink the music in some way or, or get into your body in a different way? Oh, a little bit. There was um, definitely some of the language barriers. The way we speak about music um, mm. is so different. And dance uses some of these music terms, but they mean completely different things or they count in a different way. Or I remember really struggling with that at the beginning, um, which now just kind of makes me laugh. But it's a great, it's a great experience like I use it a lot when I teach I end up working a lot with musicians Mm -hmm. who struggle with the same things and I feel like oh I can speak your language um it's really nice but I mean as far as moving my body like it for some reason it it just felt it just felt like another instrument like I've used my voice I've used a violin now I'm gonna use my feet Mm -hmm. and yeah it felt it felt really right yeah I think that's why it 
took over more than the other things. Well, and your music background explains um, your sense of musicality, which I would say is unparalleled, um, especially as a follower. It's awesome to see. Uh, How did you work your way up? At what point, you know, you you obviously were really dedicated. You were studying really hard. I know I met you Mm -hmm. like six years ago. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Um, It was more than that. Was it? It was was like. Even before Monterey. No, I met you at my first Monterey. Oh yeah, nine years ago. Nine years ago. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, I know. <laughs> well, and I knew of you actually from a Palm Spring, but I don't think it was your first one. Where somebody was like, "You need to check out this." Somebody said, "You need to check out this Larissa girl." <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" Oh, like, she's really talented. She's really good. Um, but I think by that point, you were intermediate or advanced. Um, okay. But anyway, you worked really hard at this dance. Um, who were some of the people who influenced you and helped you, you know, learn this dance and get good at it? Um, well, like at the beginning, I was in San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I got to know Kara and Michael and Linda. And they were, those three especially, because they they um, really foster the community in San Luis Obispo. Um, they took me in immediately. They recognized um the obsession and the drive in me. And they let me ask as many questions as I wanted. And there was plenty. And they let me come over and watch videos for hours and let me just drive them crazy. It was like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What about this? Like, tell me everything. Um, they let me come to all of their classes. Like, I will always be grateful for what they did for me. They just opened doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was, I, I was dancing for over a year in slow and then um, I actually, I was at a big architecture firm in San Luis Obispo and I was really struggling with that because um, I love, so a lot of what I love about dance and owning a studio is actually echoed in my feelings for architecture and providing spaces and experiences for people. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, the architecture firm I was at was um, having me work on prisons and it was awful. It was killing my artistic soul. So I quit and I found a grad school in San Diego to go back and work on that creative, um, like loving side of architecture. And I picked this school in San Diego because Brandy Guild was here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, if I'm going to work on me, I'm going to work on everything. So I went back to grad school and I went to her and I said, I have this much money for you. And I want a standing weekly lesson and I want you to do anything and everything you think I need to work on, um, be as hard as you want. So she's like, cool, let's work on walking. And I think (laughs) she walked me for the first month or two. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, okay, let's work on spins. And she like made me do spin drills in laps around starlight. She was like, you're giving me free reign to do whatever I want. We're going to do it my way. Uh, It was Oh, amazing. (laughs) I bet. It was everything I could have ever asked for. Um, So she's been like, she's been my home base. Mm -hmm. And then um, to her credit as a teacher, she was, she was so amazing in being supportive and giving me structure, but she um, encouraged me at every event, go take lessons from as many people as you can take every class you can watch everybody you can. And then if you have questions or need to work through it, come and talk to me. And we'll work it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really amazing. Um, I didn't realize how unique that was 
until kind of getting out um, more and several years later and interacting with more teachers as I became a teacher and realizing that a lot of people can be um, kind of guarded, like, oh, you take from me kind of thing versus her of like, I want you to take from everybody. I want you to learn how to figure out what works, what doesn't be analytical. Um, think about how it fits in your body. How does this apply to the dance as a whole? Like she taught me how to study. She taught me how to learn, which then became how to teach, mm-hmm. not just how to dance. She, she taught me how to approach all of it. Um, at the same time. Yeah. Um, I don't even think at the time she was intending for me to become a teacher. I certainly wasn't thinking about being a teacher. I think for her, it was just teaching me to be a well-rounded dancer. Right. And then it blossomed into everything else that I now do. Yeah. What were some of those key yeah. learnings around being a good student or how to learn? Um, she was, she was so good at, and she still, she still talks about this all the time of, of what is specifically for somebody or a certain certain body type or a certain theory versus what is universal and how how do things fit together? How do you um, how to apply certain things? When to know how certain things might work? How might they not? Like mm-hmm. she just is. She was really good at teaching that that critical thinking and analyzing towards anything I might be seeing or trying. And she made me try it all too. Instead of, um, I feel a lot of people might go to class and think, Oh, that's interesting. And then never try it again. Mm -hmm. And then she would, she would get me in a lesson the next week and be like, show me. And if it doesn't work, tell me why. Hmm. Um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. A lot of teachers are kind of guarded. I remember when I started teaching, I was not, great at this dance, but um, I was in an environment where teachers, you pretty much had to be loyal to them. Like they would intentionally keep their students from going to other teachers in the same community, even to the point of uh, social dances were divided. So, you know, this person's dance had their students and this person's dance had their students. And um, I started teaching with Helen Taco at the time and (gasps) we both had day jobs and we were both like, we're just going to teach whatever we think people need. (laughs) Like we're not going to hold back or, um, or have that loyalty. Um, I, yeah, I still see it every now and then less so in my experience lately. I mean, I think the Bay area is a really good mix of instructors and, here in Minnesota, people work well together, but yeah, it's unfortunate that happens um, where people yeah. learn just one way of doing things um, mm-hmm. and aren't really taught what you were taught, which is like thinking about the fact that there is no, I mean, other than the absolutes, there's not a lot of right or wrong, right? There's a lot of gray. Right. You need to try it on yeah, and see what fits. Yep. At what point did you start thinking, okay, I'm having some success with this. Maybe this is something where if I'm invited to get hired, I will say yes, or I will, was there ever a switch where you were like, okay, I'm going to do this? Um, it took a little, it took a little while because, um, I, I never had the mindset of being uh, a teacher or a professional simply because when I started, I was already at the age 
that all the professionals were, or I was older than a lot of them. I started this dance at 25. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the champions around me that I was taking privates from were my age. Mm -hmm. So for me to think, well, here you've been doing this your whole life, and this is like what you live and breathe, and you're teaching me what gives me the right to then think, well, I'm going to do this too. That was that was a really hard mental switch for me to um, to kind of get over. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Kim actually was one of the people who helped me with that. He just looked at me one day. He's amazing for some reasons, but he just looked at me one day um, when I was practicing at the studio and goes, "Well, that's a silly reason. Why? Why? What does age have to do with anything?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't know. It's a really <laughs> good question." Um, so yeah, I kind of wrestled with that for a little while and I, I didn't, at the same time, I didn't want to just jump into it. I wanted to make sure that I, I knew how to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time Michael was beginning his GPDIA courses that he was teaching and he was running a lot of them out of starlight, kind of practicing different, um, methods of running it to take it on the road. Mm-hmm. So, um, he let me shadow in all of those. That's awesome. And he wasn't talking so much about the content of what we're teaching, but he was really just breaking down how do you teach mm-hmm. um, different people of different levels, how are different backgrounds, or how do you teach a group class? How do you teach a beginner group class versus a technical group class versus a fun group class? Mm-hmm. How do you do it with a partner? How do you do it alone? Um, so I did all of that. And I still wasn't really teaching at the time. If anybody asked me, I would send them to other people. Um, and then finally, Michael one day was like, you got to start taking these lessons. Like, why aren't you like, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, I'm not ready yet. And he was like, you've been ready. What are you doing? He was like, as long as you explain what you know and fully understand and what works for you, you're not going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, as, as, as soon as you get to a point where someone asks you something you you aren't comfortable with yet, then it's you have to be able to say, oh, I don't know that. Well, I, don't, I would recommend this person and this person and be really honest with that and then fully explain everything you do know. He's like, as long as you obey that, you're ready to go teach. And that was a big thing for me. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I feel like I understand a lot at this point. Mm-hmm. And, every, and I'm very aware of everything I don't know. And I know exactly who to send people to for those answers. Right. Um, so that, again, took a lot of pressure off and was a sense of um, permission to go do something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually kind of been a theme for me, realizing this now as I talk to you. <laughs> like a lot of things that have happened in this dance weren't something I thought were possible for me until someone very gently um, kind of asked me, well, why isn't it a possibility? And they gave me permission to go do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go do the thing. Right. And it works out great. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same with DJing too. So Yeah. Well, I want to get yeah. to that in a second. Um, <laughs> definitely want to talk to you about your DJing. What point did you have permission then to compete at the champions level that jump from all-stars to champions. Mm-hmm. And of course we can talk a little more about the new <laughs> yes. rules around that. But I mean, at the time you, yes. you jumped up 
um, what do you think gave you permission or gave you the the courage to make that jump? Oh my gosh, it was really hard and it tortured me for a really long time. Um, that's so hard. I'm never going to be someone to be like, look at me, I'm the greatest. I should be up there. Um, my imposter syndrome is very aggressive, um, which is probably contributes to my work ethic where I keep trying to work to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, honestly, it was, it was so many of my supportive friends mm-hmm. almost getting frustrated at me for not doing it. I kept going to events and some of my dear friends and coaches would come up and be mad at me and be like, why are you signed up for all-star this weekend? What are you <laughs> doing? And I'd be like, I'm scared. I'm not going to do it. And they're like, you're going to do it. Um, so, and then I started doing a lot of champ Strictly's because, um, some of my dear, amazing friends were like, look, we're going to take a risk on you. I am willing to enter this with you. That should mean a lot to you. And I was like, you have no idea how much it means to me. Then I would cry because I'm emotional. Um, and then I would go dance it and it would be amazing. And, and everybody was loving and supportive and I felt really welcomed. Mm -hmm. And I think without that, the jump would have been a lot harder. Once I did finally sign up and go do my first champ prelim, there were so many people standing there with hugs being like, yes, you're doing it. Good job. We're proud of you. Mm -hmm. Um, That it was, it felt like something to celebrate. Um, And it was really positive, but I'm really grateful that I had that. I don't know if I would have made the jump without that. Yeah. It strikes me that, a lot of the moving up to champions thus far <laughs> has been a combination mm. of demonstrating. It's not just demonstrating success in all-star it's demonstrating uh, an ethic and a um, readiness to be among the champions, right? There's one mm. thing to say like, okay, I'm winning all-star a lot. And another to say, I'm, I'm capable or I belong at that next level. Um, yeah. and I think, and Deborah and I have talked about this on the show that, um, a lot of people prove that by not only proving their success in Jack and Jill's and Strictly's, but also doing routines, like demonstrating that you can do the artistry and the performance side of things. What do you think it was for you that helped yeah. you feel ready or that made your, your peers, uh, feel confident in your abilities? Um, I definitely think it was a combination of all of those things. Like it's not, it's not any one of those things. Um, I had had a lot of conversations with, uh, coaches and lessons or just over some wine at the DJ booth at dance events of like what it really means to be a champion or be, be someone who can go dance in a champion prelim, let alone a final. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I'm one of those people that I fully believe that it's not just, it's not a point thing. It's not a, uh, a winning, winning everything kind of thing. Like it's, it's everything. It's how much are you working, um, with the success that you have? Are you still going to class? Mm -hmm. Are you still taking lessons? Like, are you working on your teaching? Are you working on your routines? Um, are you taking the time to develop friendships and relationships and get to know people since so much of our dancing really reflects us personally, mm-hmm. getting to know 
um, people you're going to be dancing with as people and have knowing that rapport already. Like I know what kind of dance I'm going to have. If I go dance with Kyle, it's going to be really fun. I need to be on my toes. Like, and it's so much of his personality and how he interacts with you off the floor. That's how he's going to be. And so if I didn't have that friendship, then I wouldn't feel ready for that. Um, he's just one example. Um, so there's, there's this whole package of things. And a lot of it I was developing without really being aware of it. I was taking the time to go ask these questions and, um, develop these relationships. And so it kind of became something, um, and looking back on it, I realized what I was doing, but at the time it wasn't intentional. Um, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble, but I feel (laughs) like that's a lot of what's missing right now as we focus on, well, I have enough points I can dance up. And it's like, so much of it has nothing to do with points. Yeah. So much of what made me feel ready had nothing to do with points. Mm -hmm. Um, so much of it was mental work. I remember Sarah one day, um, in a lesson, she looks at me and go, technically you're ready. Mindset wise, you aren't. Mm. I was like, Whoa, explain. (laughs) Um, and she was like, I need you to have confidence in, um, and what you do know. She's like, She's like, you're humble and it drives you. But as soon as you step on that floor, you have to have the confidence in what you do have in order to go be the best partner for these amazing guys, these amazing leaders. They're not going to want to draw someone who's insecure and scared of messing up with them. Like that's not the mindset. So she's like, until you figure out the confidence and the abilities you have and the faith in yourself and the hard work you've put in, then you're not ready. Mm -hmm. Until you've done that, then you'll be ready. That was like a light bulb going off for me and having that distinction of, oh, technically, like my one might be good enough. Maybe my connection is decent enough. But was I ready to put my brain there and confidently go make some musical decisions and partner with these guys and put on a good show? And I wasn't at the time. It took some work. Yeah. To be honest, it took a bunch of mental work. How did you go about that? Uh, work? Um. I, I'm always, I, I do a lot of self-analyzing and I do a lot of, um, thinking about kind of processing my anxiety or my self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent, I spent a lot of time just thinking about that or I'd go back and watch videos and I can see like flickers of the confidence come out and then I'd think, okay, what in that moment gave me that confidence? Mm-hmm. Or I can watch a video and see where I kind of shut down and went internal and insecure and then I would look, oh, what what just triggered that? And I would work on picking those things out and and figure out what can I make consistent within myself to then bring consistently to every dance. Because especially as a follow, there's so little that we have control over. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a control freak <laughs> in everything. Um, so it took some time to figure out Okay, what consistency can I find in myself? What little rituals do I need or a little mind game or, um, you know, stuff like that. I think it's one of the reasons why I love music so much is because that is, that's such a point of safety and consistency for me. Mm-hmm. When all else fails, I have the music and I can show that. And it's really grounding. Um, yeah, so stuff like that, that helped me make that switch. And then it was just from there, just time on the floor. Mm-hmm. and luckily all those leaders were 
willing to take risks with me and go do Strictly's. Um, and I was able to test it all on them and they all knew me well enough to know what I was going through. And so they were, they were opening doors to let me play with that mm-hmm. and let me kind of use them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were all willing participants. Um, yeah. So over a couple of years, I'd say there's a couple of years of transition where I would still kind of dance all stars or depending on how big or whatever the event was, or if I was invited to dance up, then I would go do it. Um, and then slowly I, I switched. It wasn't like a hard thing where I dance champs now. Um, I needed time. <laughs> when did you finally feel ready to, to not dance in all stars anymore? What, what was different when you finally said, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to dance in champions. Oh, that's a really good question. Actually. I think there was, there was a point where I just started having so much fun mm-hmm. And it felt right, and I felt like those were my people. Yeah, um, they were my my um, they were my friends. They were my support group. They um, like that 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 side of it, not just the dance side of it. Mm-hmm. That that feeling made it feel like oh well, that's that's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, and it didn't really have to do with making a lot of finals or not, because at the beginning, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, which was fine. Like it's all part of the journey. Um, so probably, yeah, probably that kind of going, wow, I just had so much fun with my friends. How cool is that? Right. I want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. So just kept doing it <laughs> pretty much. Given what you said about what it takes to be champions and that it's not mm-hmm. about points. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the new world swing dance council? all-star to champions structure. I, um, I don't want to get myself in trouble with it. <laughs> it's the naked truth. Um, Speak your mind. <laughs> I, I understand the desire for wanting a path mm-hmm. to get there. I totally do because it can feel like there isn't a path. It can feel this like big, big daunting thing. Um, and I understand that because I definitely felt some of that as well. Um, so I understand the need for a path. However, um, I would like to challenge people to think, well, maybe there isn't a path. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's individual for everybody. Maybe not everybody should be a champion. I, and that's where I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. I don't think because you're going to get in trouble because feel... I'm going to second you. So if you're getting in trouble, we're both going to get in trouble. Um, okay. I agree with you. And I... even as an all-star, uh, I I mean, I feel the same way that you probably did when you started of I'm older than some of these guys and they're amazing. To me, there yeah. is a big gap between all-star and champion. And I think what you were saying a moment ago reflects a lot of that it's it's a mindset thing it's a comfort thing it's a relationships thing it's a work ethic like it's all of these things together that make you more than just a good dancer right like you're a champion and i think it should be an upper echelon that is difficult to attain i think no matter how many times you win all-star first of all let's keep in mind winning all-star not that it's not deserved and not that there aren't great dances, but it is relative placement. (laughs) 
So there are lots of people who can rack up lots of points in all-star in, in a field that will not match champions in any regard. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's just a separate ball game, you know, winning the, winning the pennant in the minor leagues does not make you a major league player. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And so I think that, first of all, it's not that people haven't moved up to champions without the number of points required or whatever, you know, some sort of limit. You and Tony did it. Um, You know, uh, PJ and Tashina at one point did it not long before you guys. Um, I remember. You know, Sean and Courtney did it before that. Uh, I'm watching people now like Joel Torgerson and Austin Coyce. Like there are people who are starting to dip their feet in the water. Mackenzie Goodmanson, right? Like there are people who have done it without the points required. Have they also learned, earned a lot of points in all-star? Yes. I think there should be a correlation between being able to, if you're ready for champions, you should be also doing well in all-star, right? It's like if any of the champions were to dance in all-star, I'm pretty sure they'd kill it. So like there should be a a correlation there, but it's not just the points. Um, It's all these other factors. I feel like, I feel like getting a lot of points in all-star is um, it's not the goal that should be just kind of the side effect of all the hard work you're putting in. And for the people who have made the jump, I feel like that's very true. All those people you just mentioned, um, they all work so hard Mm -hmm. at the full package, the full range of things that encompasses what we think of when we say the word champion in our dance. So all of those people, they were they were busting through and like breaking that ceiling when when we all felt it was impossible because they were doing all of those things. Right. It had nothing to do with how many points they had in all stars, mm-hmm. um, or how many events they went they went to. Like, how many lessons were they taking? Let's talk about that. How many hours of practice were they putting in? Let's talk about that. Like, it's just it's such a different shift. I remember watching all of them break through. Um, it was amazing. It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all made so much sense Yeah. with, with the work that they were putting in. Um, and I feel like, I feel like that perspective is, is a little different Yeah. now. I'm not really sure where, <laughs> well, I guess I do know where my, my impression is that people want to believe that the path isn't, as hard and ambiguous, <laughs> right? Like it gives people a sense of hope. And yet at the same time, it should be reserved for a select number of people. I, I don't think I it is a, a clear and easy line in the sand. Like, Oh, you've done your homework. You're ready. I, I feel the same way about promotions in the workplace. Um, yes. And, you know, anybody who works in a company, it's not, just because you're good at your job doesn't mean you're ready to be a manager. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Just because you manage like a few projects with like four people doesn't mean you're ready to manage a business unit, right? Like mm-hmm. there are certain competencies that go above that. It doesn't matter how many years you've been in that job or how many projects you've managed, you're, you still don't have the competencies required. And yeah. I talk a lot on the show and just in general about how I think the points are just misleading and it should be more about competence. You know, like a point doesn't really tell you about your skill level. Um, Yes. But yeah, I I don't see a need to define a number of points that makes you eligible. But the flip side is it doesn't really hurt 
Because if people have enough points and they go and compete in champions and they're not ready, they're not going to make finals. That's true. Like it's, it's not really harming anybody, but even without the points, people were still doing that. They said, I feel ready. I'm going to go compete in champions. And if they weren't ready, Mm -hmm. they don't make finals. So as long as there's a prelim, I don't see the harm in having it, but I also agree with you that I don't want people to think that well, I have whatever it is, 65 points or 75 points, therefore I'm a champion. That's not how it works. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, as regard, in regards to um, people just kind of deciding that they were ready on their own mm-hmm. and then signing up for champion. Um, I don't, again, <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I feel like that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. That just because you have twenty dollars doesn't mean you you've earned that privilege right. to go sign up even for that prelim. Um, and I realize that that might not be a popular opinion, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, at least I can say like my my own journey there. Um, I def- I feel like I back up those beliefs. I feel yeah. like I worked really hard and I took I took that privilege very seriously. Mm-hmm. When I, when I started signing up for champions, that meant everything to me. Um, I just didn't have $20 and some good dances the night before and thought I would take a chance. Right. Um, yeah, it, it means everything. It still means a lot to me. There's still several events where I go to where I don't have a chance in hell of making it. And that's totally fine. And it, it just means so much for me to be able to go and dance with these incredible people and be in that prelim and get those, get those moments Mm -hmm. and then get to watch the incredible people who make that final and the art that they put out there and the example they set for all of us, like getting to be part of that is a privilege Mm -hmm. that I want people to feel they've earned. Yeah. Um, again, not just because they had $20 and the ability to sign up. Right. (laughs) I agree with you 100%. So in the absence of, points the question mm-hmm. then becomes how do you move up to champions and so what would you tell somebody who who is maybe having success in all-star and isn't sure when the time is to start throwing their 20 dollars on the champions prelim as opposed to all-star what what yeah. signs do you think tell somebody that they're ready i mean you had people telling you hey you're ready you had people asking yeah. you to do strictly i think that's a good sign too but what would you say to somebody Oh my gosh. Other, other than those things. I mean, that's probably, I mean, like of the people, especially that you mentioned before, um, of those people who made the jump in those years before me, they were doing similar things to what I was doing. You started seeing them popping up in champion strictlies. Mm-hmm. Um, they would pursue as much coaching and learning as they could. You would see them, um, going and finding the champions for late night dances and building rapport and learning how to dance with each other. Um, all that stuff matters. And if someone asks me, well, what's the path to champions? When do I know? I would start asking them, well, are you doing these things? Have you reached out to some of the champions you feel really, um, secure with? And have you asked them for a strictly, have you, do you go ask them to dance or do you just kind of stay in the corner and dance with all stars or, or newbies who make you feel good about yourself. Um, I would ask some of those hard questions Mm -hmm. and then depending on their answers, I would be like, yeah, maybe, maybe start signing up or 
maybe you should think about some of these other things along the way right. and then reevaluate in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to say no. Like I don't want to say to somebody, no, you shouldn't ever do it. Cause I do believe that work ethic and all of these things really matters. And if you keep working, maybe you do have a shot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never going to say to someone, no, they shouldn't right. at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would definitely ask those questions of them. Yeah. For sure. On the not telling somebody no, I feel like it's more of telling somebody yes, uh, that that the chances of success are, are worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like, sure, I'm not going to tell you no, but your chances of success are not great. <laughs> um, right, but they're not great for any of us. Like, if you ask anybody who's made it, some of it comes down to just luck being in the right place at the right time or sure. making the right friendship, like, or, or whatever it is, or maybe, um, maybe, maybe a high all-star gets lucky in an all American and draws Kyle and they have a great dance and suddenly they start to develop a, a dance friendship with him. And that opens doors. Like as much as that sucks, some of this might be down to luck mm-hmm. and being it, it's opportunity is just how's Brandy say it. It's, preparation meets just just luck mm-hmm. and that's opportunity and, and when that good that lucky moment comes along have you done the work to be able to take advantage of it right. and then make an opportunity of it um that's so important i feel like that's so crucial to anybody wanting to make the jump yeah absolutely um yeah i guess when i say like chances of success i just think i don't i wouldn't want to embarrass myself out there <laughs> like oh my gosh i wouldn't want to tell somebody yeah you're ready and they're just gonna look so out of water <laughs> that i'm still scared of that <laughs> i feel like all of us are still terrified of that all the time <laughs> why, why is that i mean you've all been the there you've had success because i have I have so, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I can, I can have a wildly successful weekend, um, have a ton of great dances, maybe do well in a Jack and Jill, teach a bunch of great lessons, feel really inspired and proud of my progress. And then I come home and Tuesday morning I go to Brandy and she goes, cool, let's work on this, 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 and this, and this. And I'd be like, okay, yep. Yep. I am still on this journey. I have so much to learn. Thank you, Yoda. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, and I think that's really important, like being able to balance that confidence in what I've done while at the same time I have someone who's still pushing me, who's still taking my growth very seriously and encouraging me. Like, I think that is why I'm able to be as successful as I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Another area you've been very successful is in your DJing. How did you get started with DJing? Um, (laughs) funny story. I was at, uh, I was at DCS, uh, Desert City Swing Mm -hmm. in 2012 and the Sunday night DJ, um, couldn't be there for some reason or something happened and Gadbury was looking for, um, for a DJ and I'd been doing like a couple of local dances, um, around San Diego because they just needed someone to help out. I happen to know all the songs. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, sure, I'll help out. Um, then at Desert City, Tony, um, having lived in Phoenix for a long time, he um, he knew Gadbury. Gadbury is looking for so many DJ. Tony runs up to me and goes, "It's your chance. Get your computer." <laughs> and I'm 
plugged in. And it was my first time at a convention, and I was terrified. Uh, but it was really fun. And then Gadbury was like, that was great. Why don't you come back and do it again next year? And then I just kind of started poking my head in with my computer and filling in random gaps at events mm -hmm. where they needed somebody to hit play for a while. And then when I decided to take it a little more seriously, um, same as I did in dance, I went up to Louie and Victor and said, I'm going to drive you absolutely crazy. I'm going to be in your booth all the time watching how you're doing things. I'm going to ask way more questions than you want me to. And you're going to teach me how to do this. And they said, okay. And I trained with them as much as I could at dance events for several years. Mm -hmm. And then um, they were amazing whenever I had a shift because um, they would start to help me get hired and encourage me to go DJ places. Right. Um, when I was working, they would come sit with me and be like, hey, this song bombed that floor and let me tell you why. Okay, next, maybe try playing this and let's see what happens. And they they taught me how to read a room and analyze and put things together and develop what my my style and my vibe is mm -hmm. now um but i i attacked djing the same way i attacked dancing i did my homework i did my research i found people i could study under and then i worked really hard at it mm -hmm. so what is your style or vibe and what's your approach like what were the things you learned from victor and louis that you apply to how you read a room or play a set um first and foremost it's not about whatever I happen to want to listen to. Mm -hmm. It's about everybody else. And I know that I feel like most DJs know that, but they might not really put that into practice mm -hmm. when they're actually hitting play. Like it really has to be about everybody on the floor. Right. And that's just rule number one. And then from there, I get first, I feel like I was pretty safe. I kind of settled into like late night groove, which is which is easy to get into and then maintain. So I started there and then I started branching out because I started thinking more broad of just not what are we dancing to a lot, but what maybe should we be dancing to a little bit more mm -hmm. or what, what other things can we bring in? Um, so I got really into bringing a lot of the jazz back and bringing in a lot of the blues um, that aren't just the same 10 songs. Right. And I started really playing with the balance of how to mix it all together in a way that flows and blends. And so, it, so, so that it doesn't feel like, Oh, I'm just playing the obligatory blues because it's been 10 minutes. Right. Like, no, I'm playing a really great gooey one that fits with the vibe we're in or, um, has some energy to it or fits from, from whatever, whatever the event vibe is, um, putting thought into that, that's become, as I've kind of figured out and developed my personal views about DJing and as I've taken some of the responsibility on, um, in the community, since DJs can influence so much of how an event goes or the direction of the dance, like, yep kind of started to shoulder that responsibility and go, okay, what does that really mean? Um, I've been really pushing a lot of other styles and genres um, into my DJing. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it's been pretty successful. <laughs> <laughs> Mixing in a lot, of, a lot of different stuff these days and it's been going really great. What are you trying to push? Like taking on that responsibility of your influence, recognizing your influence as a DJ, how has that changed things? Um, 
it's been it's been fun as as the the focus in our dance is kind of swinging swinging haha swinging away from um a lot of the contemporary or maybe pushing to the zook stuff mm-hmm. and it's kind of going back into traditional and all i'm getting to play all this like ella and louis mm-hmm. and like more obscure sam cook and like i played a june christie the other day nice. for any of you jazz people out there um like i've started being able to mix in nat cole subtly mm-hmm. and some natalie cole and like oh it's been really exciting yeah for the little jazz musician and me Absolutely. um but it's been really fun to watch how people respond and and how it's kind of reflecting in some of the the dance choices being made in competitions or socially like it's been a really nice shift so then when like a zook song or something does come on it's it can be really fun. And then we can go back. I feel like it's widened by, by me and a couple of other DJs playing such a range of things and blending it all in and making it all work well like within one, the context of one night of dancing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's broadens people's perspectives. I feel like people are dancing differently and distinguishing different ways of dancing West Coast and being able to make the switch and having a more open mind about what they want to dance to and enjoy. And um, I feel like it's been really good for the community mm-hmm. in the last couple of years yeah and i'm not just saying that it's me doing this like i've noticed ruby's been mixing in stuff and louis and victor they always do too and um of course you always have people like festa who come in and play whole sets of of this kind of vibe and it's always the best hour of every event is when Festa's playing mm-hmm. but i feel like that kind of stuff like between all of us as a team i feel like it's really had a far reach and a, a change has been happening. Um, like when I, when I go to an event and I watch a night of social dancing, it feels different. It feels better. It feels richer. Yeah. Um, really proud to be part of that. Yeah, actually. Absolutely. Do you yeah. talk to the other DJs about this or is it simply a matter of observing and listening and seeing what other DJs are doing that influences you? I definitely think a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, a lot of us talk all the time. A lot of us will sit um, in the DJ booth with each other and listen to each other's sets. And a lot of us, like at the end of the day, we all have just deep music appreciation, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. We all can just sit and enjoy each other's vibes. Um, and when we all pull out little gems of songs that maybe we haven't heard in a long time, um, it's really exciting for all of us and we all talk about it yeah, <laughs> like little nerds. Um, so definitely a lot of that, but, um, I love just being in a room. Like when I go social dancing, it's as much to go dance with everybody as to then appreciate and enjoy whatever vibe the DJ has going on. Yeah. Um, I would encourage new DJs to pay attention to that a lot more than they do. Mm-hmm and start thinking about like what's being played and how we can push it and that responsibility that we do have as DJs. Mm-hmm. I think that should be taken a little more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I just appreciate the fact that you say that it's not about you <laughs> because I do feel like <clears throat> for a lot of DJs, they play the kind of music they like and that may not be what works for the rest of the room. Um, you also DJ for competitions. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you have a particular approach or philosophy about DJing for comps. 
Oh yes, <laughs> I have many. Okay, I have many. Do tell. Um, I mean, it's 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 beyond just playing songs that work for any given level. Like I feel like most people understand, you know, for a novice song, you need, you know, like a four on the floor, steady kind of beat. Mm-hmm kind of thing and then you can get more adventurous adventurous as you kind of work up the levels i feel like it's more than that like we need to reflect all the different styles you need to reflect um all the different skill sets that our dancers have um that that wide variety and exposure is just as important in social dancing as it is in a competition and i think they need to align like i'm going to play the same obscure jazz for an all-star Jack and Jill as they will for late night. Like there's a consistency there. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, playing the couple of competition blues songs right. that get played. And then we never get to play them or never get to dance to them socially. Yeah, That, that should all work together. So I try really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a spotlight or, um, or a heated prelim or whatever it is. It should all be flowing and working. And for dancing socially one way, let's bring that same essence to the competition. I feel like that sets the dancers up for success. Yeah. Um, and it expresses just all the different skills that we need as dancers and that we all want to show off in our competitions. Right. Um, I like challenging the dancers, but I don't want to hinder them. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel that way sometimes. I've noticed even... Um, as a dancer, I've noticed when a DJ is really trying to push the dancers, almost like they're trying to make the dancers struggle, mm-hmm. or you're they're pushing them to mess up, um, and that doesn't doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Um, as a dancer and a DJ, I'm aware of what both sides need, so I try to facilitate that. What do you think should be played for champions? I know that's always a, a challenge. And it, you you That's did a, DJ for cha- for champions before you were in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, whenever I can throw music in, I try to. Um, even if I'm in something, mm-hmm. a lot of events, um, if I'm dancing champs, they'll still let me throw in music. Right. Um, they just make sure I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't really give me any advantage because I know all the music in there anyways, whether <laughs> I picked it or not. Right. I'm gonna know the song, um, but just for appearances, and I think that's important mm-hmm. for integrity of an event. Um, so just everybody out there, I don't get music that I pick. <laughs> um, for champions, it's complicated. It's the outlier, just like everything else, because um, like everything else about champions, it's an outlier. It's not a direct, just logical path. Like Because if you think about it, it's champs is usually the show of the weekend. You're trying to show off your amazing dancers you've hired, but you're also trying to challenge them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to bore them. And if you think about it, if you have to, if you set the champions up for success, they're going to dance better and they're going to be so happy. And then that radiates. Everyone in the audience is going to feel that happiness or that joy. And it changes the mood in a room. If you've sat in an event where the champions aren't happy with the music and watch them grumble in the chairs or maybe not put on the most enthusiastic, wholehearted, full body dance that they can, then the audience is going to get kind of restful or maybe they'll clap a little quieter Mm -hmm. then people kind of leave dissatisfied um and maybe they don't know why and then that that could affect if people come back the next year um so for champs it it has to you have to when you're picking music it has to 
you have to pick for everyone in the room, not just the champ dancers. So it's, it's way harder Mm -hmm. to pick champion music, which is why I know a lot of DJs don't want to do it because it's so much responsibility. And I get that. Um, but it's really important. It can make or break a weekend in somebody's mind. Um, what they saw or what they felt um, from watching that or being part of an experience changes it all. Yeah. I've noticed that as a spectator that, like you said, you can tell when the champs aren't really feeling it um, mm-hmm. or they get music that's just kind of flat yeah. um, and the dancing just doesn't pop. There's just a lot yep. of not, exciting dances and not that every dance has to be exciting but i at least want to see them enjoying it you know yeah um so yeah i i know it's challenging we talked with ruby about that too and the pressure of choosing the champions music because like you said it's not just about the dancers it's about the whole audience and the whole event ultimately Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a big picture issue um and I feel like a lot of DJs and dancers realize that. Um, and there's things as DJs we can do to help. Sometimes it's really difficult to get event directors on board because they're like, well, it's my event and I know best. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean they pick the music? Or they or they pick a genre or right. they, they have requests. I want it to be fast contemporary. Mm-hmm. Well, that isn't really what our, our dance is doing right now. That's not what's going to inspire the the people on your panel or um, maybe the mood of the weekend has been different. So I'd like to encourage a different genre of music for champions, check and chill. Mm -hmm. I always try to as professionally as possible throw out suggestions, whether they take me up on those or not. It's a different thing. Um, And at the end of the day, I'm going to do a job. And if my boss tells me to play something else, I'll do it. Um, Of course. But um, yeah, there's definitely things we can do do to help that a little more and also it it sets the precedent like how champs dance that's how all stars are going to try to dance Mm -hmm. and then then it's going to trickle down absolutely so the things that you see like it's going to affect all the other levels it's going to affect what people try late night it's crazy how much picking a couple of random songs for a champion jacket final on any given sunday can have a really big ripple effect Mm -hmm. into our dance yeah absolutely do you talk with your peers about the music I mean, I know you said you talk with other DJs. You talk with other champions about <laughs> she's nodding. Yes. <laughs> yes. Even, yeah. Oh, yes. Because um, I'm one of the few that is involved so heavily in both. Right. So a lot of the champs um, love to make comments to me about the music, either good or bad comments, mm-hmm. um, because I'm a direct link to possibly fixing it for the next time. Right. So I do get a lot of feedback (laughs) um and i try to be as uh smart about what i do with it i'm not just gonna go up to some poor dj and just dump all of this on them but i can i can help or encourage or make suggestions to an event director or um yeah so it's kind of nice getting that that um that earful from people Mm -hmm. um because i can process it and use it better yeah um i being so heavily involved in both, I, I hear a lot, right? a lot from people. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, there is, I think, a shift back to 
I think you use the word richer, a richer sound, which I like that word, um, a lot of diversity of music. And I think that was really reflected mm-hmm. in the open this year where yes. I didn't sense one particular trend in music, but rather a whole diversity of different kinds of, of music. Um, yeah. like you and Tony dance to Ellen Louie, like rich traditional swing and everything from that to, you know, po- you know, contemporary pop or kind of Americana kind of music. It's real diversity. Um, yeah, I think it's, well, I'm just glad that there's a diversity again and, like you said, it's it's more of a kind of a smorgasbord than just like a big helping of zook music with a little bit of swing on the side oh. or blues oh, over here or like here's a you have to eat that one bite of blues before you can have your dessert. Um, <laughs> it just kind of felt that oh way. Um, it really did feel that way. That's a perfect way of describing <laughs> that. For years, yeah. I feel like it's shifting from that. I feel like the general dance population has. Um, appreciation for blues or jazz or maybe some shag style stuff Mm -hmm. or i even slip in country once in a while and people will go have fun to that um i'm so glad it's changed (laughs) yeah i mean our dance has always thrived on that diversity right something for everybody and it it makes us better dancers because we learn to dance to everything and anything yes all those dancers unfortunately i can't dance to blues and i'm like i don't know what your problem is (laughs) Yeah. If anybody ever told me that they couldn't dance to blues, um, I would just give them a whole lot of it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like a lot of these things, and again, I'm going to get in trouble, but a lot of these things can literally just be um, answered by, well, dance better. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Or like you said, just (laughs) go and dance to it. Like, you can't right. dance to blues because you don't dance to blues. And then you get the, well, I don't like blues. And I'm like, well, then go listen to other blues. Like, right. blues is a huge genre of music. Um, you know, soul is a whole genre of music. Like, come to find the appreciation. Which actually, I think, gets back to what you were saying before of um, watching the champions dance to a diversity of music and how that trickles down. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, I know my students will sometimes discover their love of blues because they watched top champions dance to a blue song. And they were like, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, or swing or pop, whatever it is. Um, But that, that influence from the top down. Um, One thing that has come up and since you were competing at the open, I guess I'll bring it back to the open um, Uh and swing music is uh, swing content. And you and Tony were one of three couples this year in the finals who did not receive a swing warning or a swing violation. And I'm curious, Uh, I mean, other than dancing to a traditional jazz standard, um, how did you approach the new rules? Were you concerned about it? I mean, you and Tony tend to have very high swing content anyway. I don't know if you've ever received warnings or violations before, but was there on occasion? Uh, it happened. Um, occasionally it would happen. Um, ironically enough, I actually picked that song for us months before any talk of the swing content rule change. Mm-hmm. I, that's just the direction I wanted us to go. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically as a partnership with some of what we've struggled in past routines, mm-hmm. I wanted to showcase him. I wanted to showcase us playing off of each other. So I, 
informed him one day that we were going to dance to a duet. So then I went and listened to all my favorite duets across all genres of music and settled on that, which is actually one of my favorite songs from when I was a kid. Um, and then I took it to our coaches and they were like, this is so perfect and it's so you guys and you seem so happy with it. So we just ran with it. Um, and it just conveniently happened that we're doing this during the swing content year. Um, so it felt really easy to hit our mark with it, but it definitely scared us too. Like when we were among like just all the other couples in all the discussions that, that sprung up everywhere um, when they announced that rule change. And so we, we panicked a little bit for sure. We started, we took our whole routine apart. We were going to debut it right around when they announced that rule change. Mm -hmm. And we delayed by several months, took the whole thing apart, overanalyzed and rethought everything um, to make it what it is now. Um, all of the main ideas changed, but it meant that we put more, more thorough um, analyzing into all the transitions, all of those little moments that maybe can get taken for granted in a routine while we're all trying to just rush to the next big trick. Right. Um, it made us really slow down and make all of those other things count. Mm -hmm. And um, looking back at some of our old routines, I learned how to do the swing content, like the percentage stuff right. um, pretty accurately. So I went back and swing contented like, gosh, 50 routines one night. <laughs> just to really learn and analyze, okay, what's working, what didn't work on this routine, why um, why some routines that we all think of as swing really don't have a lot. Mm -hmm. And it came down to prioritizing a lot of those, those in-between moments and those transitional moments and making them just as impactful and swingy and wonderful as a big musical hit. Mm -hmm. um, and then once I became obsessed with that, I started looking into my Jack and Jill dancing and I started going back and watching all my favorite, um, like Jack and Jill's and Strictly's and realizing, wow, I love this because look at how amazing that sugar push was, or look at the ankle articulation on this one moment, um, and finding a whole new appreciation for all of that. Um, so I actually feel like I grew a lot as a dancer in general from this rule change because of all of the work that it encouraged me to do right. and looking at that open, that, like the classic division, for example, um, I could see that a lot of other people did the same work mm -hmm. and it was so exciting to see um, none of the artistry was lost, but there was so much more through, through the vessel of swing, through using that as a moment of expression, not just, something we have to get through to get through the trick. Right. Um, so something that was really negative at the beginning that had all of us really freaked out, I think became something really great mm -hmm. um, in theory. Like <laughs> I, I know that the, the way they actually executed some of the violations and there was some sad things that happened and violations and things that it'll get ironed out. Mm -hmm. But I think the actual concept itself of let's take a look as a community at our priorities and go back to using swing as as the expression itself right. and getting back to all of that, I think it's been really good. Yeah. 
and it's been exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say, yeah. like you said, the the quality. Uh, I mean, the caliber of routines at the Open is always unparalleled. But uh, there were just some a lot of a lot of great routines that, like you said, had that essence of swing in them, like throughout. Um, mm-hmm. So, and you could tell that people did make the effort to really push yeah. that. So that was, I agree. I think, yeah, the execution of evaluating swing content may not have worked out Ugh. very well, but, um, uh, but for sure the, um, the mindfulness that the competitors had was, was really great. So I thought that mm-hmm. was awesome. Um, what do you think of the, the dance in general these days and the directions it's going to make you excited? Any concerns? Um, I don't, I definitely think there was a time where I wasn't, I wasn't liking what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely felt that I was in a, maybe a different camp than a lot of the other dancers. Um, and I feel like with some of the shifts, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. I don't feel like we've lost anything in the shift. I feel like we're just discovering more ways to appreciate this dance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it's more inclusive for a lot of different styles of of swing Mm -hmm. in this dance and different perspectives on it from all different kinds of dancers. So I feel like that's all really great. I feel like there's there's more of a place for different interpretations of our dance than there was mm-hmm. even just a couple of years ago um i really like where our dance is right now yeah i would agree again the diversity yeah. of it yeah that's everything mm-hmm. for me i think yeah. yeah anything you're looking forward to in 2020 oh my gosh everything <laughs> you have a lot going at the on. end of the day <laughs> the end of the day i just love this dance so much and i'm just so grateful to have found it even this late in my life and get to do so much with it i'm just really grateful to be part of this community all the time and i feel like every weekend i just am overwhelmed with how special it is mm-hmm. and how just so happy that it took over my life <laughs> well and i think i speak for a lot of people when i say i'm happy it took over part of your life too uh, glad you're in our community. Glad you um, have put forth your own dancing. Um, I personally admire it. I know many others who do as well. And uh, same with your DJing. Like you bring a lot of joy to a lot of people through the music alone. Um, and I'm grateful for you taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for listening to my impassioned rambling. <laughs> I will listen to those anytime. <laughs> I'd love to have you back and we can chat more as this dance evolves and as your career continues. Well, thank you. I would love to. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks. Larissa is based in San Diego, where she is co-owner of Starlight Dance Studio, but you can find her teaching and DJing all over the globe. I really liked how candid she was about her anxieties performing and competing, and it was really interesting to hear how she's overcome some of those anxieties over the years. I also really enjoyed hearing about how Brandy Guild trained her. It made me jealous, actually, but made me think of my own training and how I train others as a teacher. I was amazed at how driven she is, 
No matter what she does, she will go 100% with it. She moved to California to study with Brandy and went all in. She went after Victor and Louie to learn how to DJ and went all in. She goes after things and seizes opportunities to learn and develop herself. And I was reflecting on our conversation about champions and what it takes to become one. And I think drive is a big part of it, but it strikes me that there are some people who are driven to become a champion. As in, they want to be specifically a champion. They want the title and the status. Whereas many of the people who do become champions did so because they were driven to be good at the dance. They had a passion and a drive for dancing that eventually made them champions. I know that sounds like a semantic difference, but I do think there's a fundamental difference between people who want to be champions, with a capital C, and people who want to master the dance and then become champions. Anyway, I'd be curious to hear what you all think of that idea. I'd also be curious to hear what you think of her thoughts on DJing. Like Ruby Lair and Victor Lavera, who we've talked to on this show, Larissa focuses on playing a wide variety of music, and I really appreciated how cognizant she is of her role as a DJ in influencing the dance. I also really liked how she said she plays competition songs that help people have a good social dance in competition. After all, this dance is first and foremost a social dance. Or you know, at least it was. But that's another discussion for another time. What did you think of my conversation with Larissa? Have you seen her routines with Tony? What did you think of her comments on what it takes to become a champion and the new WSDC pathway to champion? What do you think makes a champion with a capital C? And what do you think about her approach to DJing? What kind of competition music do you want to hear? And how do you think it should compare to the music we listen to for social dancing? Share your thoughts with me and your fellow listeners. You can post a comment on the website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email me at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs, and where else can you follow us? Oh yeah, on Twitter, at nakedtruthwcs. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric. And that's the Naked Truth. So several years ago, I uh, was given an ukulele to learn how to play. And the only time I used voice memos was uh, to record like when we were playing as a group. That's the only time I've ever used voice memos. So somewhere I have like a stash of voice memos of a group playing ukulele. That's really cool. You should save that. (laughs) I've been meaning to pick up uh, the instrument again. Um, do it. I have one. We should like do duets and dance events. Do you play it I regularly? It. Uh, I used to. Yeah. My, it was my grandfather's. Oh, nice. And then um, he taught me how to play it when I was little. Yeah. And then I would mess around with it when I was um, annoyed with the violin. I would bust out my ukulele. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, someone once said, you cannot play ukulele and, and be anything other than happy. That's very accurate. Yeah, I think it's very true. Pretty much.